which is where we will spend uh, the majority of our time this morning. Uh, we are uh, continuing in our ninth week of our initial series uh, with, uh, with me serving as your pastor. And uh, we titled this a series, the series Essentials, because we wanted to revisit from uh, the standpoint of Scripture uh, to know exactly what it was uh, that God desired for each of us as individual Christ followers uh, and also what He desires for us as a church. And so uh, we've been uh, working through uh, what I've said are the essential links between the abundant life that Jesus offers us uh, as individual Christ followers and the making of a healthy church. There's a reciprocal nature here. Uh, if we are a healthy church, then by definition, we will be the kind of place where people come to know Christ uh, and they discover what abundant life looks like, and it's a lifelong journey. Vice versa, uh, it's very difficult, if not impossible, for us to become a healthy church if there's not enough of us who are engaged in the process of walking closely with Christ and discovering all that He intends for us. And so uh, this series has been aimed at reminding us as Christ followers and as a church that God meant for us to thrive uh, and not merely to survive. So today, uh, we're going to take our next step in that. We talked about biblical community last week and how God uses the context of, of life groups or uh, circles where we get together and do life together. We're going to turn now to a focus on the individual as we talk today about the importance of discipleship, uh, that is, being formed in Christ. Uh, 82%, according to Barna, of Americans, this is staggering, 82% of Americans say that they feel the need to experience uh, spiritual growth. When one considers uh, the vast uh, spectrum of people in our culture and ideas and beliefs and philosophies, it begs the question, uh, how are we to go about experiencing a spiritual growth? And my contention as a pastor is that even in a church like ours, there are too many of us who are living beneath the level of our inheritance. Uh, when you come to know Christ, uh, Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 1, all of the riches that are ours by being identified with him, and yet so few of us actually embark upon the journey of tapping into the resources that are ours in Christ, and as a result, we oftentimes live beneath what God intended for us. Additionally, uh, churches tend to be anemic. Uh, pr principally because we have not seized upon the life that God has called us to, and that's where discipleship comes in. Now, there's an obvious difference when we uh, are informed by the Scriptures. There's an obvious difference in our culture between the life of the redeemed uh, and the life of the unrepentant. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, <clears throat> Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And then even within the church, we recognize there's a, a subtle yet significant difference between those who are experiencing life with Jesus, that is, you've signed on not just to trusting him for eternity, but for living with him and discovering what he wants to do in your life, versus uh, those who seem to be content to be on the fringe uh, as merely fans of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between uh, profession, for many of us, and actual practice. Now, my message this morning has two uh, ideas behind it, one for the individual, one for the Christ follower. Let me give them to you up front. Uh, first, I'm going to argue that the abundant life is the life that is fully devoted to Jesus Christ. 
the abundant life. If you desire what Jesus says, come, uh, that you can have abundant life and have it to the full, you need to know this this morning, you will not get it apart from your connection, vital connection to Jesus Christ. It's about gearing one's whole life around not only becoming who he meant you to be, but helping others come to know him and to grow in him. This is abundant life. Second, the church that is healthy is the church that is characterized by having members who are seriously concerned for their spiritual growth. In a healthy church, people want to be, grow better at being followers of Jesus Christ. So let me give you a, a number of ideas that will substantiate my, my two premises this morning. And, and let me start with the idea of dispelling a misnomer. There are, for many of us here this morning, uh, in our way of thinking, two kinds of Christians. Uh, and if I could use uh, my uh, art skill, I would say that many of us have come to think about uh, following Jesus Christ and being part of the church uh, like these two concentric circles. So the outside circle represents the offer of God to save us. We recognize that Jesus came into the world, He gave His life to die for our sins, uh, and it's a gift of God, for by grace are you saved through faith. So there's nothing we can do to get in that circle, but we can receive freely. So anyone who wants to come may freely receive what Jesus Christ did for us, and in so doing, we become Christians. Now many of us think that that's just about knowing I'm not going to spend eternity separated from God, that I'm going to go to heaven. And, and we think that there's this second circle where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That sounds a little like work. So we know it's not this circle, because this is by grace through faith alone. So for some of us, we recognize that Jesus is inviting us to follow him, but we have to deny ourselves, we have to take up a cross, we have to follow him. And so far too many Christians decide that this is good enough for them. They want to be in this circle, but they're not ready to count the cost. They're not ready to deny themselves. They don't really like the idea of carrying a cross, whatever that means, and following Him closely. And this is the way we think. But friends, the Scriptures do not teach that there are two kinds of Christians. Those who are happy to be saved, and then the really gung-ho among us who want to go to foreign countries and share our faith in hostile settings or, or just live it 24-7. There's no such thing in the Bible. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you need to think in terms, which we've talked about in recent weeks, that your development is linear. That you come to know Christ at a point in life, and it's God's intention that you would continue to walk with Him and grow deeper in your relationship with Him and discover as your life unfolds all that God intended you to be. So you need to think linear. So when you come to know Christ, you've committed to follow Jesus Christ. You are His disciple. And so my intent this morning is to unpack exactly what that means for us because it is there that we will discover not only what it means to be a, live the abundant life, to be the kind of church God intends us to be. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So it's not okay to come to know Christ, yet continue to try to live like you were before. The old is gone. And so the rest of life is just this progressive unfolding of the new. Now, the journey is oftentimes three steps forward and two steps back. We take some pro make some progress, we, we sin and make some mistakes, and we go backwards. But we put away the old again, and then we continue in the new. It's, it's linear. You're continued to grow in your relationship with Christ. And this is what discipleship is. 
So what does this look like? Let these verses wash over you. They're not on the side screen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith uh, is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for another is increasing. It's not stagnant. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And then the verse that might well uh, be the theme for this message, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Finally, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11, for this very reason, make every effort, okay, does that sound like, I'm glad I got in, I'll come to church, but I really don't want to do more than that. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Listen to this. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he has, was cleansed from his former sins. So there's this misnomer that the Scriptures want to dispel in us, that we can actually come to know Jesus Christ, really know Jesus Christ, and then decide that we will live on our own terms. If Jesus is your Savior, friends, he is your Lord. And to know him is to follow him. And in the healthy church, there needs to be more and more of us who understand the call uh, to be his disciples. So let me move from the misnomer to the mandate because the essential link that we're talking about between abundant life and the healthy church is the call to to be disciples. It's the call to follow Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that cultivates that and coaches it. And I hope to explain your part in that in our time together. But it begins with Christ's mandate. This is what our Savior said to us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That means tell people how they can come into a right relationship with God. Tell people that their sin has put them at odds with God, that they're, in the, they're staring in the face of God's wrath, but that God has done something for them. And as we introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we begin the process of making disciples. And then he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe a couple of things. Is that what it says? No, teaching them to observe all things. Now, I don't think that there's anyone among us this morning who has mastered all things. And again, it, what Scripture suggests is that there is this progressive linear journey where we will continually be learning what it means to know Christ and to walk with Him. You are a disciple of Jesus if you know Him. But some of us have stopped short of the implications of that call. Discipleship, I would define means becoming and then growing as Jesus' student and seeking to help others do the same. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed, morpho, in you. 
2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Again, morpho is the Greek word. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be morpho, transformed. So what Scripture has in mind for you and I when we come to know Jesus Christ is very much akin to the transformation that a butterfly goes through. That God intends to make us something that we were meant to be that we are not. And friends, apart from following closely to Jesus Christ, you will not become all that you were intended to be. Discipleship is not an option. If you know Christ, then you must be formed in Christ. This is God's agenda for our lives. To know Jesus is to be devoted to obeying Him, to following Him closely, uh, to willingly denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Him. Now, there are many metaphors uh, that we could draw on, both in Scripture and outside of Scripture, to talk about the relationship between a master and a student, between uh, the Lord and his disciple. But I want to use uh, the one that Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 11. This is such a beautiful picture of what it means uh, to live life with Jesus Christ, what it means to walk with him, to be formed in him. So we're going to spend the rest of our time in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, These words are familiar to you. They are encouraging. Uh, They can be life-changing They are intended to be the modus operandi of your relationship with Christ. Uh, And if embraced, they will produce radical results and they hold a promise of reward. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to take what is familiar and by the work of your Holy Spirit inside of us to help us to recognize there is something counterintuitive about this offer. That this is not an offer uh, that's intended to be pulled out like a get-out-of-jail-free card when life gets overwhelming, but this is about a daily walk with you I pray that you would illuminate our understanding and that for those of us who have yet to sign on to being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we would recognize there is no outer circle. There's the progressive journey closer to you. May we heed the call. May we be a church, a healthy church that's making disciples and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The yoke uh, symbolizes the discipline of discipleship. And we're going to talk about a number of lessons, seven of them, I'll observe out of the yoke. But most of you are familiar with the yoke, yes? Doesn't look terribly pleasant, does it? Uh, I'm grateful that we were able to come up with a visual because there's nothing better than a visual. Uh, But a yoke is a farm instrument 
um, that uh, harnesses two animals together, typically oxen. Um, I was reminded this morning we probably don't have a lot of oxen in this area. Uh, So it can be horses, it can be donkeys, um, but it harnesses two animals together and it serves a a number of purposes. Number one, uh, it uh, creates synergy. The power of two things working together can actually produce exponentially more than one by itself. And so the wise farmer uses two animals to accomplish the work in half the time. Uh, It's also a device by which a mature oxen or horse can be uh, tethered to a young, immature, and in the process of the younger one pulling against, uh, over time he can learn how to do the job right, to plow a straight row. And so there's this picture of what Jesus is saying here where he's offering to you and I the opportunity to slip our necks into the collar, uh, e- slip into the easy yoke, as Dallas Willard calls it, uh, and learn how to do life with Jesus Christ. So this is the metaphor uh, that Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter 11. Now, here's the mistake that some of us make. Some of us make the mistake that when we hear Jesus make this offer, we think about the worst case scenario. Like, what am I going to do when life really hits the rocks? Like, what what am I going to do when I don't have money to pay the bills? When my marriage is falling apart? When I've got a kid who's going off the deep end? What do I do when tragedy strikes? Well, Jesus is over here saying, hey, when life gets too much for you to handle, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. This is a misunderstanding of what Jesus is offering. You see, Jesus is interested in producing spiritual growth. Jesus is interested in making you look like Jesus. And for some of you, that's a 24-7 job. So when Jesus says, come to me, he's offering us something to do on a daily basis because the truth is, before we ever get out of bed, we're overwhelmed We don't know how to be what God's calling us to be. We need His help. And so Jesus gives us this device that we can't really get away from. Like this is what it looks like for me to walk with Jesus every day, to slip my head into the easy yoke and ask the Lord to take me where He wants me to go. And at times when I bristle and try to pull away, He's the master and He has control of my life. I've surrendered it to Him and I can trust Him to lead me where He wants me to go. So let me give you a few observations Dallas Willard writes in uh, one of his books about the easy yoke, and he says uh, that it's the central claim of Jesus here that we can become like Christ by doing one thing and one thing only, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. Jesus did not redeem you so that you could freelance what you think the Christian life is supposed to look like. Jesus redeems you so that you would walk beside him in the secret of the easy yoke. And then he, because only he knows how to make you what you were meant to be, will do so. You will become, over time, one step at a time, the man or the woman you were intended to be in Christ. So let me give you a few observations. First of all, from the easy yoke, we learn that being formed in Christ is about being bound by God's sovereign will. Look back again, if you will, at verse 25. It says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. This is not your plan for your life. This is God's plan. But the only way that abundant life becomes ours is as we are bound to the sovereign will of God. We're bound by the sovereign will of God by slipping our neck in here every day and learning to walk with God. 
See, God's plan cannot be thwarted. He loves you with an infinite love. His purposes in you can't be turned back. They will be accomplished. And even if he has to drag you kicking and screaming, he will conform you to the image of Christ. But to wait for that to happen is to rob ourselves of incredible joy, riches, and power to help us in life. You see, the easy yoke is about your position, it's about a posture, and it's about power. My position as a Christ follower, your position as a Christ follower, is right here. You know where you need to be tomorrow? Right beside the Lord. You know where you need to be the day after that? Right beside the Lord. You know where to be when tragedy strikes your life? Right beside the Lord. You know where to be when things are going awesome and you're on cloud nine? Especially then, your job is to be right beside the Lord. You are bound by His sovereign will, His purposes for your life. There's That's your posture. That's also the source of power. Second observation, being formed in Christ is about a life built upon the truth. What Jesus said is that God has hidden this from the wise, but he's revealed it. He's revealed truth to us. So he who has ears, she who has ears to hear, please hear this morning. The life that you were created to live, the life that's born out of your relationship with Jesus Christ, which begins the moment you trusted Him. Eternal life begins that moment. That life, the true life, which we only know by Christ, is tied to the easy yoke. It's a life that's discovered as you make the commitment to walk with Christ on a daily basis. Always. The contrast in this life is between those who are self-sufficient and themselves wise and those who are dependent and love to be taught. Some of you can't learn anything. You know it all. You know anybody like that? I know a few. I was one. You walk with Jesus, and you'll discover there's a lot you don't know. But here's the good news about God. He delights in showing you new vistas. There are places in your life you can't fathomably conceive that God will take you if only you will relinquish control and be teachable. Loki in the movie Marvel, uh, the Marvel movies, Avengers kind of characterizes so many of us. Remember when he says he is burdened with glorious power and purpose. So many of us have that idea, don't we? College does that to us. We're going to change the world. It takes just a little bit of time to discover that there is one who is burdened with glorious power, and it's at your disposal if you walk beside him. Third observation, spiritual formation is born out of an ongoing living relationship. You know, it's so important for you and I to recognize that spirituality, religion is about showing up, about doing your, checking your boxes, but Christianity is about a relationship, a living relationship with your Savior. It's about walking with him on a daily basis. And for some of us, Too many days pass by before we become aware that we walked off and left him. And friends, when that happens, it's not the kingdom of God that's at the loss. The loss is ours. We're ill-equipped for what's coming our way if we don't stay beside Jesus Christ. And you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm courageous and I'm strong and I can go out there and fight a battle for God. You really can't. It's not designed that way. You were meant to be by Jesus, and so he calls us little children, just little children. And Jesus offers to us as little children his leadership 
every day. Fourth, spiritual formation is necessarily rooted then in Christ-centeredness. It's focused. You see, it's as we stay beside Jesus Christ that we discover the secret of His own life and ministry, which was to do whatever pleased the Father. That's what Jesus said. He had no agenda of His own. His sole goal and purpose in life was to please the Father. You know what you were created for? You have some talents. You apply your hand to some things. You earn a living. You have a relationship. You might raise some kids. You were created to bring glory to God the Father. That's the purpose, the glorious purpose behind your life. You know how that that gets accomplished? Not by freelancing. It gets accomplished when we live here. Because everything is ours in Jesus Christ. Even our highest created purpose, which is to bring glory to Him. And so Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. God's will for our lives is not that we would live on the fringe of Christianity. Oh, anyone who wants to may freely come and drink of these waters. But God would have you discover that there's a path that leads ever closer to Him. And in coming closer to Him, we realize the the fulfillment, the accomplishment, not only of His good purposes through us, but of His glory that our lives attribute to. Verse 44a, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you want to live up to the potential of your life, if you want your marriage to be the best it can be, if you want to raise kids that come to know Christ and then choose in adulthood to walk with Him all the days of their life, if you want to be able to walk not with ease, but with faith through the valley, then friends, you need to stay focused on Jesus Christ. The life that He is offering you is exclusively Christ-centered. Number five, being a disciple of Christ is an invitation to inevitable change. Is there something in your life that you're tired of? If you've been walking with Christ for very long, then you are like me. You have a rap sheet of things that you butted your head up against and you figured out you couldn't make the change yourself. And then somehow you eventually came to the end of yourself and asked God for help and he got you past it. And then you walked a little while, hit another wall. And then you asked God for help, and He got you past it. You and I, as we walk with Christ, God is continuing to work out that process of sanctification to work out in us what it looks like for us to live victorious lives over our sin. Not only is that about the joy that comes to us, it's also about testifying about God's glory and greatness. You know what's wrong with too many Christians? Our lives aren't really giving a testimony to how great God is and how wonderful Jesus is for redeeming us from ourselves. The only way that happens is if you and I uh, embrace the invitation to inevitable change. God is going to change us. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 25 says, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. How does this happen? By the new covenant. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now there is a positional truth. When God declares you just, it is done. It's settled in heaven. There's no questions. But while we remain on earth, there is this progressive process whereby God is working righteousness into our lives and through our lives as we become like Him. It's there, here in the secret of the easy yoke, 
where Romans 8.28 becomes real to us. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. You know how you get past being stuck when life takes a turn for the worst? Some of you are stuck now. You're stuck because things aren't going your way. You're in over your head. You don't know how to change it. Something that happened in your past you can't shake free from. You know why you can't see the truth of Romans 8.28? It's not because it isn't true. It's because you lack the perspective of being in the easy yoke beside Jesus where he teaches you, you know, that's why that happened. This is how I'm going to use that. For your glory, Father, for the Father's glory, and for your good as I grow you up in your faith. Number six, discipleship operates out of complete obedience. You see, as long as this is our mentality, then truthfully, while we may genuinely be born again, uh, we're continuing to hold Jesus at arm's length. We want to still be in charge of our life. And friends, he will not share his throne with anyone else. He's going to chase you like the hound of heaven until he kicks you off your throne. He's going to allow things, circumstances to come into your life until he finally gets your attention that the rightful place for you is off the throne of your own life so that he can sit there and then you need to yoke up. And as you learn your place, which is just to obey the master who's done so much for me, then he will lead us in a way that is not burdensome. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Here's what happens to so many of us. There's this spectrum of the spiritual life where we tend, have tendencies toward, toward one direction or the other. For some of us, we get pulled toward the legalism side. Just give me some rules to obey. The church I grew up in, don't dance, don't drink, don't curse, don't chew, and don't associate with people who do. How many of you grew up in that church? Nobody, I grew up in that church. That was real stuff, man. And the idea was that if you can just do these rules, then you're somehow becoming what you were intended to be. But you can keep all the rules in the world and it does not mean that you're walking close to Jesus. What gets you close to Jesus is just saying, you know what, this is where I live. This is where I'm called to be beside Jesus. And he will show me how to live. He has already fulfilled all the laws for me. I don't have to be a legalist. Some of you are over here. You know what gets you to the center? The easy yoke. On the other hand, some of you are on this end of the spectrum. You just naturally gravitate there. Now, I was raised in the legalism area, but my, my, my natural sinful bent drifts to this area. This is the area of licentiousness. This is where we treat grace uh, as uh, an excuse to keep on sinning. Some of us live here. You know what gets you out of licentiousness? It's yoking up. It's getting beside Jesus so that he, he can show you not only the depth of your sin, but the glory of God and His goodness toward you. And as, as we deny these extremes, He starts pulling us toward the center where He's at, full of grace and truth. You know what's at center? The easy yoke. The only way you will have this kind of balance this kind of health in your spiritual life is to walk closely with Jesus. Number seven, full devotion to Jesus is simply the best way to live. Jesus says in Matthew 11 that his way is easy. That means good, comfortable, well-fitting. It's about pace and priority. Sure enough, wherever you are right now, 
God is not content to leave you there. Some of you are here. Some of you are here. Some of you may be down here. Please pray for Ina. She's been in the hospital after a minor stroke this past week. Ina told me just a couple of weeks ago when I was meeting with her, she's a precious saint in our church. She said, you know, I've just determined that God still has things to teach me. I haven't learned everything yet because he hadn't taken me. A lot of wisdom in that. As long as you have that perspective, you will continue to become like Christ. Every morning, no matter how hard it is, you'll understand that the job is to get up, to yoke up, and to walk with Jesus. Now, this is an incredible metaphor. I could probably make more observations from it, but for the sake of time, we have to pull the metaphor into reality. The question is, how then does God grow up Christ followers? How do we become who he intends us to be? Plato saw this a long time ago. He wrote, there is an art of living, and the living is excellent only when the self is prepared in all the depths and dimensions of its being. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So when we ask the question, how do we then become, if, this is, if we can make the metaphor that we can bring it into reality, how do we become who God intended us to be? So let me say a quick word about means and motivation. From the healthy church vantage point, we make disciples by focusing on Jesus as the only foundation. You'll recall this list. We, we, we make disciples by uh, reminding people that the Word of God is our weightiest influence. We make disciples by having sound biblical theology. That is understanding that God, yet He is loving, yes, but He's also holy and just, and that means we're going to have to answer to Him. The best place to be when you stand before God one day and answer for your life is right here beside Jesus. Amen? The best way for the church to be healthy and to make disciples is for us to be gospel-centered and gospel-driven. It's to teach an understanding, a healthy understanding of conversion. It's to be on mission to reach people. It's it's to be committed to biblical membership, to, to know that you have a part and that you're actually serving as a part. It's to embrace biblical community and doing life together. And then finally today, it's about answering the call to discipleship and being formed in Christ. This is what our series has been about. It's essential if we're to make disciples and be a healthy church. It's essential if we're going to experience abundant life. Then from the fully devoted Christ followers vantage point, it's about understanding that it's not about trying to be like Jesus. It's about training. You know, I wouldn't recommend if you ever have the chance to go to Israel, hope one of these days to take a group myself. I've been. I wouldn't recommend getting to the Sea of Galilee and deciding that that's the point at which you're going to try to be like Jesus and walk on water. At least start on the shore. It's not going to go well for you. It's not about trying to be like Jesus. It's about training to be like Jesus. And this, again, is why the yoke is such a powerful metaphor because Jesus is the more mature, wise, compassionate, understanding, and given time, he will teach us what it looks like to do life like him. In fact, the scriptures teach us that it's Jesus who's living in us, who wants to work through us. In fact, live as us. My life is his. This is what discipleship is all about. So let me give you uh, two areas where you could make the metaphor a reality. Number one, uh, in the area of discipline. 
Christians for centuries now have practiced what's called a rule of life. They've understood uh, from experience that if they were going to succeed in walking with Jesus on a daily basis in the, in the secret of the easy yoke, then their life required discipline. They had to have a rule of life. A rule of life would include things like, I need to talk to God daily because that's the privilege of prayer. I need to hear from God daily, so I need to be in His Word. Uh, I need to embrace spiritual disciplines, not because they're a way to get spiritual brownie points, but because they're a way to discipline my life to keep me focused on the kingdom so I can practice silence and solitude and sacrifice and service. These are all things that, that go into a healthy rule of life. If your rule of life is just to come to church on Sunday, you're missing out. Discipline is required daily to be in the easy yoke. Second, uh, it's about dependence. This is about relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through 11, 1, Paul talks about, about how this works itself out in relationship, this idea uh, of walking with Jesus Christ, being fully devoted to him. Among other things, he says it's about seeking the good of others. Uh, it's about imitating godly examples. Finding someone who you can emulate is crucial to your discipleship. And all it really takes is to find someone that's one step ahead of you. In fact, friends, some of you are hesitant to disciple someone because you fail to understand that if you're one step ahead of somebody, you have something to offer. Disciple someone. Invest in someone. It's how we all are coming closer to to living life with Jesus Christ and to becoming who he meant us to be. It's about pursuing a godly life, even in the face of difficulty. Some of us quit when the going gets tough. The easy yoke won't let you do that. You know where Jesus will be tomorrow? No matter what's going on in your life? He'll be standing there and holding up his side of the easy yoke, waiting for you to slide in. Fourth, it's about striving to set an example for someone else to follow. In the 16th century, John of the Cross wrote, A soul which remains alone is like a burning coal which lost by itself will grow colder rather than hotter. If you want to be on fire for Jesus then you must walk with him. You must find the company of those who are fully devoted to him, being his disciples in the day and age in which we live. And that brings me finally to our motivation. Write this verse down and read it this afternoon. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. There are a lot of places we could look for motivation to uh, get out of that outer circle, if you will, and into the inner circle. If it's just rather continuing on the perspective of living a life with Christ. But this passage, Paul breaks down so many great, rich motivations for why you and I should walk with Christ on a daily basis. Number one, he says, uh, we should remember that uh, we're dead to sin and that our new life is in Christ. Is that not a good motivation to get up in the morning and slip your head into the yoke? Number two, that we have a certain hope of glory in Christ. I don't know what you're living for, But to to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that's glory. That opportunity is yours. It's tied to the easy yoke. The fact that God hates sin and will punish sin. This is why this concentric circle is so dangerous. Because in remaining out here on the fringe, so many of us continue to dabble in sin and we're going to answer for it. God has provided a a means whereby we can be assured not only of forgiveness, but of a reward when we stand before Him that ought to motivate us. Our new nature in Christ, God's desire, or God's rather electing love for us, and then finally God's forgiveness of our sins. All these Paul unfolds 
in Colossians chapter 3. I close with a word of caution. If God has a vested interest in you slipping your head into the easy yoke and learning to walk with Jesus, then you should know that you have an enemy who has a vested interest in keeping your head out of it. The scriptures talk to us about the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world and the devil are at work to conspire against us, to lead us away from Christ. But make no mistake, friends, you are your own worst enemy. The devil can't pull you out of the yoke. He can't drag you away from Jesus. He can't remove you from his hand. But Jesus isn't going to wrap his head arm around you, give you a noogie, and jam your head in the yoke. That's not the way it works. He's giving you a choice every day. I get to choose where I want to spend my life kind of on my own, freelancing, hoping it all goes well, or submitting the place of obedience where I know I need to be, where I know He has my best interest in mind, where I know He can make me what I was intended to be, which is not only to live the abundant life, but to help other people discover it around me. This is who we're called to be as a church, to lead people to the rock that is higher than I. The only way I can do that is when I know what it looks like to live with Him. The surest way to overcome our sin is in the relative safety and strength and supply of the easy yoke. You say, well, I I think I do pretty good most days. I can go two on. Jason's a fireman. I can go two on, the rest off. It's not the way it works. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 gives us insight to this. This is the Apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted churches all over, was martyred for the Lord. I don't know what your resume looks like, but his is pretty salty. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You know what the answer for Paul was? The same that is the answer for you and I. The secret of the easy yoke. When a rabbi would call a disciple, the blessing for the disciple would be, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And that day there were no paved streets, so if you followed your master closely, he was kicking up dust. That dust was covering you. So may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi for you and I as a blessing. May you walk so closely to Jesus Christ that whatever he's kicking up gets all over you. And I don't know about you, but whatever Jesus is kicking up, I want it all over me. This is what he's called us to, the life he's blessed us with. So as we close our service this morning, we're going to celebrate communion because it reminds us that the good that has come to us through God is inextricably tied to our Savior Jesus Christ. And he, in his great love for us, has united us together. And as we individually and collectively deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him, walk with him, we will become everything he intended us to be for our wives, for our husbands, for our children, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for a community full of people who desperately need to see the testimony of our great God. As I pray for us this morning, I ask the men and women to come who are helping with communion. The band, go ahead and come as well. Father God, thank you today for the secret of the easy yoke. I suspect, Lord, that there are people in this room who could have preached this message better than I because they've been at it longer. 
but I know that they would be the first among us to say, I haven't walked with him enough. I haven't been close enough. God, I pray today that we would recognize that the key to spiritual formation, to the, the key to being formed in Christ is to settle once and for all that my life belongs to Jesus, that I'm called, not perfectly, but on a daily, continual basis to slip my neck into the easy yoke and to ask my Lord to lead me where He wants me to go, to make of me what He wants me to be, and then to faithfully find someone else to bring along. God, I ask in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, based upon the truth of your word, that you would make Community Church a disciple-making body of believers. God, I'm praying for a harvest of people. I want to see our church grow over the course of the next year. But the growth that I want most of all as a pastor is the growth I believe you're most focused on, and that is that we would be as a people, sons and daughters of God, growing continually in our faith with Jesus Christ. Make us that kind of people. Lord Jesus, whatever it is that you're kicking up, may we at Community Church be covered in the dust of our rabbi for your glory and our great joy. Amen.